Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Welcome to Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan, and thank you for joining me. We just wrapped up the general election. Scott Seaborg, Pennsylvania director, all voting is local, tells us how the state did during the process. Coming up, the holidays, and it may not be typical holiday conversation, but Dawn Webster, Advanced Practice Clinician Director with MedExpress, says it's a good time to chat family medical history. Speaking of the holidays, proceeds from a recent Abington Angels fundraiser goes to offer assistance to students and their families in need. You can still help. Jennifer Bachin Brighton will tell us how. Also, this weekend, it's the 43rd Greater Hazelton American Cancer Society Telethon. We have the details. And all service members are welcome to join in the Edwardsville Warrior Tree Project. Karen DeCleck tells us where and when. We're going to start off special edition by introducing you to John Kleindienst. He is the DAV Voluntary Services Director. We marked Veterans Day this week. Working with veterans is what DAV does all year. And John tells us how you can too. First and foremost, Paula, thanks so much for having DAV on your show today. Um, DAV is a nonprofit that provides a lifetime of support for veterans of all generations, their families and survivors. And in honor of Veterans Day, DAV is encouraging your listeners to get out and consider becoming a DAV volunteer. Well, that is an open invitation, John, and I welcome you and thank you for sharing that with our listeners. So how do we go about doing that? Sure. It's very easy. I'd encourage you to go to DAV.org, click on the tab that says Volunteer, and down on the left-hand side of your screen, you're going to see a little box that says Sign Up to Volunteer. Go ahead and complete the survey that we have on there. You'll be reached out by one of our voluntary services specialists who will do a little mini interview with you and find out what your interests are so we can best describe to you what might be a great fit for you to become a volunteer. What would you say to someone who's thinking about this, but they're saying, you know, I really don't know anything about veterans. I hear a lot about veterans. I thank them for their service. But 
maybe I wouldn't feel so comfortable. What would you say to that? I would say you need to get out and give it a shot. We're asking for people to consider giving us just one day a month. And if they do that, they're going to get hooked and they're going to want to come back for more. The stories that we hear uh, from people who, just like you say, were a little trepidatious about becoming a volunteer, they sign up and they do it and they can't wait to come back for more. So the stories that you're going to get from veterans whose lives you're going to change forever, friendships and relationships that will be established throughout you becoming a volunteer are so rewarding. Uh, this is a great opportunity for you to make it a family affair. Get your kids involved. Uh, they can volunteer as well and earn to- uh, earn hours to uh, possibly be eligible for our DAV scholarship. Wow. Who knew that all this was available? And talking about that, there are so many other things available because I think a lot of times when people um, are approached with, well, maybe you could come and volunteer for us, they might have in their mind, you go to a location, you sit there, you carry on a conversation. But in your case, what you're talking about is you have all kinds of different ways to volunteer. What are just some of them? Okay, first and foremost, DAV offers and operates the largest DAV transportation network in the country that provides free rides to veterans to and from their medical appointments. We're looking for volunteers. Uh, So all your listeners listening today, I'd say, hey, guys, consider becoming a DAV volunteer driver. We also have the the, uh, volunteering inside of VA medical facilities where they can offer or provide a wide, a wide range of services, whether that's a patient escort, a greeter, um, maybe a golf cart driver to pick people up from a parking garage to the entrance of the facility, or maybe it's just volunteering in the community for veterans. Maybe your neighbor's a veteran and he or she has a need to have their yard mowed or, or leaves raked or maybe their gutters cleaned out. Um, those are just a few perfect examples of ways that you can get involved and make, again, make it a family affair, bring the kids out, uh, get them involved, help help them start getting those hundred hours so they can possibly uh, earn our scholarship. Here in the Northeast, we get snow and we have a lot of things that happen during the winter. I don't know, is there any possibility that the DAV sports clinic might be here in Northeast Pennsylvania? Uh, no, that that sports clinic is going to continue to take place in uh, Snowmass for the time being. Uh, we're going to keep it that way. It's centrally located. It's easier for people to come from all across the country. But uh, you talking about snow, that's another great volunteer opportunity. Maybe your vet, your neighbor's a veteran, and uh, he or she needs their shovel uh, scooped. Uh, feel free to get over there and do that, and 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 do it in the name of DAV. And the other thing that I also have read that uh, you're also involved with is, and we have a lot of those here, is golf. And is there any way that our folks here might be able to help out the DAV? And I'm sure that anybody's heard the word golf has now jumped up and said, what? <laughs> yes, you're right. We do a, a, we do co-present a national golf clinic, a national disabled veterans golf clinic that takes place in central Iowa. And we do have volunteers that come from all across the country. Uh, you can check that out at DAV.org. Again, fill out the, uh, uh, go to the volunteer tab left-hand side, sign up to become a volunteer, and let us know of your interest. And uh, you'll be reached out by one of us uh, to help navigate that process. Uh, well, both great events that you brought up, uh, Paula, uh, but 
again, consider becoming a volunteer this Veterans Day. And when we're talking about, again, becoming volunteers, are there certain criteria that people would have to meet? Because I know you mentioned the kids. So are there things that they would have to take into consideration, age or anything like that, if they're if they're considering doing that? Uh, yes. If you're looking to volunteer in the VA medical facility as a youth, uh, you need to be at least 13 years of age or older. Uh, if you want to become a volunteer driver, you have to be 21 years of age or older, possess a valid driver's license, be insurable, pass a physical, and be vaccinated. Um, you can also, uh, volunteering in the community, uh, we want everybody to practice appropriate uh, safety and, and do what they feel is comfortable if you want to get your kids involved. If you're breaking some leaves and you have a, a nine-year-old who can do that, by all means, we'll encourage them to volunteer as well. And as far as doing it officially, because I know we mentioned uh, if, you know, if you have a veteran in your area, of course, there are a lot of things that maybe you could volunteer, like you just said, to have even the kids help out with. But is there anything officially that someone would need to to do if they wanted to actually be in with the DAV or Let's hope that everybody would just want to do it on their own, but they might just like to be able to do that under your umbrella. Yes. If you go to the website, dav.org, click on the tab that says volunteer, complete the volunteer uh, application form that's on the left-hand side. Uh, you'll be reached out by one of our team members who will get you into our system and, and put you in contact with the right individual so it's all done in an official capacity. Again, this is a great opportunity with Veterans Day uh, to, to give back. If you didn't serve but you want to serve veterans, this is a great opportunity. Or if you did serve and you're still wanting to serve, another great opportunity. So go to DAV.org, make it official, become one of DAV's volunteers. That's um, really what we're asking for all of your listeners today. John, thank you for your service. And is there anything that you would like to mention that maybe we haven't mentioned so far during our discussion today? No, just uh, for some helpful resources or to find more about supporting veterans in your community, go to DAV.org. Paula, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having DAV on the show. Uh, consider giving back uh, this Veterans Day for veterans by going to DAV.org. Thanks, John. And all service members are welcome to join in the Edwardsville Warrior Tree Project. Karen DeClet is here and tells us where and when. This year we're doing our decorating on November 20th at noon at the uh, corner of Main and Church Street in Edwardsville, Veterans Park. We're going to light the tree on Sunday, November 21st, 3 to 5 p.m. That will be when we have our Sergeant Santa parade. We're having one this year. We give out toys to the kids. We have the flag ceremony that American Legion Post 655 is doing for us this year. That's Larksville Legion. We always end by asking a veteran from the audience to light the tree for us. Now, for folks who may be hearing about this for the first time, can you give us just a little bit of the background of how all this came about? Well, it started a long time ago when my son was in service. He uh, joined the Marine Corps in 2012. It was right after boot camp. He was able to come home for Christmas, and we were so excited that I, I... was posting it on Facebook that he was coming home for Christmas and a lot of other Marine moms that, that were in his boot camp unit were coming to me and crying that their sons aren't coming home. So that was when I kind of realized not everybody gets to come home for the holidays. So I started a very little three-foot Christmas tree in my house. 
put some red, white, and blue lights on it, hung some stars on it for all the guys that we went to boot camp with. And I posted it on Facebook to my Facebook group. And I said, uh, find, tag your Marine. He's going to be home for Christmas no matter what. So that became a big hit. I had Marines and soldiers and sailors, airmen all getting in touch with me. Please put my name on the tree. Please put my buddy's name on the tree. And before I knew it, like two years later, I had over 300 names on this little three-foot tree. And I said, you know, Mama needs a bigger tree. So I went out and I got one. And that is the Edwards the Warrior Tree in Veterans Park. You usually have some of the kids from the grade schools making decorations. Are they doing that as well this year? I think we're going to need some new stars next year. We have like the kids from State Street Elementary. We have them paint some stars for us, about four to 500 stars. And it all depends on the weather, on how long they last for us. This time they've lasted since 2016. But we're going to need some new stars by next year, I think. So we're going to be bugging those kids again this year to paint some more. And we usually reward them with like a little uh, certificate for uh, thanks for making the stars for us. We thank them for their outstanding job. I know your heart is in this project and you had, of course, everybody had a little bit of a delay over the past year or so with uh, the COVID and the pandemic. And so now we want to make sure that we have a great big outpouring this year. So once again, give us the details of the decorating of the tree, the lighting of the tree and everything else that goes with it, because we want everybody out there to support the Edwardsville warrior tree project we decorate the tree this year on saturday november 20th from 12 to 2 p.m and this year we have we're going to have the girl scouts the boy scouts cub scouts troop 154 we're going to have frontier girls troop 193 they're all going to come out decorate the tree with the recruiters and their pulleys or candidates and that is all on november 20th then on Sunday, November 21st, we're going to be lighting the Christmas tree. That's when we have our uh, little two-hour event from 3 to 5 p.m. It's where we have our Sergeant Santa parade, just a small parade. And we have Santa handing out the gifts to the children. And we do a flag ceremony. And we end it all around 5 o'clock with the asking a veteran, surprising a veteran in the audience. Leave it to those awesome moms to start those great traditions. When we come back, we'll talk about the Hazleton American Cancer Society Telethon and Abington Angels next on Special Edition. Now on Special Edition, it's the 43rd Greater Hazleton American Cancer Society Telethon this weekend. Jane Daugherty has details. Jane, I am so happy to have you here because, again, the what year is this? How many? This is 43. 43 American Cancer Society telethons in Hazleton. This one has really been an uphill battle because of COVID, but you are going to persevere. How did it all start? The telethon started 43 years ago when my co-chair, Clemmy Yamona, was upset because there wasn't an official American Cancer Society presence in Hazleton. And she went to the powers that be at the time, and they told her that if she could raise $25,000, there would be an official ACS in Hazleton. And she and the Gans and Chrysler families organized a telethon that raised $78,000. Wow. And here we are. And here you are. But what was it like back then? 
in the very beginning, it was really a polka-thon. Polka dancing was very big in the Hazelton area, and both the Ganses and the Chrysler's were polka dancers. So we actually brought in polka dancers by the busload from out of the area, and they danced. We started at Genetti's in Hazelton, and they danced the day and the night away for two days, and that was how we raised money. That must have been incredible. And how long did that continue? Uh, polka dancing went on probably for about uh, 10 years, and then it morphed into line dancing and square dancing. Country line dancing was big at the time. That lasted oh, quite a few years, and gradually over time we have morphed into just uh, miscellaneous talent, and I don't say that unkindly, but we have dancers and singers and guitarists and bands, martial arts, pretty much any kind of talent that anyone is willing to do from the greater Hazleton area, we are more than happy to have. And when it did start, you mentioned the fact that it was two days right from the very beginning. That must have been a pretty big undertaking back then. It really was. And actually, at, in the very beginning, we started out on a Friday night. And we had a small piece of the telethon Friday night, then all day Saturday and all day Sunday. It's changed a little bit over the years, and we are happy to say we're back to a two-day format this year. We want everybody to make sure that they're available, that they're listening, That, but when is this year's event? Saturday, November 13th from 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. And Sunday, November 14th from 12 noon to 5 p.m. Now, how is it going to be structured this year? We have two venues this year. Um, we're trying to be COVID careful, and we're avoiding large crowds. Our entertainment will take place at the historic Wiltsey Center in Hazleton, which is inside the Hazleton Elementary Middle School. And our phones and interview area will take place at WYLN-TV Studios. It never has lost its message since Clemmy got the idea way back when. Tell us about the American Cancer Society and where the money goes that you raise. It's so important that we have a telethon because we do raise money and the money goes for patient services such as our Road to Recovery program for free rides to treatment, our Hope Lodge in Philadelphia where patients and their families can stay free of charge, there's a wonderful website, cancer.org, that is available 24-7. There is uh, a new, brand new mobile app for Reach to Recovery, which is for breast cancer survivors. And you can put in a little bit of information on that app and immediately be connected to another breast cancer survivor who had the same type of cancer that you have, is probably, probably took the same treatment that you did, and available 24-7 to talk with you, to ease your concerns, to explain things to you. And also one of the most important pieces our money goes for is raising funds for research. Research, of course, is so important. We've come so far in cancer treatments. When we started our telethon, we didn't have any survivors. Cancer was a death sentence, and it's not any longer, thanks in part to the research that the American Cancer Society does. Jane, once again, the dates... The times. Our dates are Saturday, November 13th from 11 to 11, Sunday, November 14th from 12 to 5. You can make a pledge at 570-459-1212. You can also donate online at acsmove.org slash Hazleton Telethon. And we will be broadcast live on WYLN TV 35 in Hazleton 
And I know that's available in the Wyoming Valley as well on Service Electric. It'll also be broadcast live on YouTube, and it will be recorded on YouTube. So if you can't catch us then, you can catch us later. Good luck this weekend to all involved. The recent Abington Angels fundraiser offers assistance to students and their families in need. You can still help. Jennifer Bacon Brighton tells us how. Give us a little bit of an overview of what your group is. The Abington Angels? It's the Abington Angels. It is a program that was started originally by the Abington Heights Middle School PTA over 10 years ago, but could no longer function through the PTA. So it came back to the Civic League, and this program helps our less fortunate families within the school district. Who are or who makes up the Abington Civic League? So the Civic League is a series of women within our community that get together to help promote the community. We do several things throughout the year that will then raise money and then we give them out to other charitable 501c3s, fire companies, equines for freedom and other programs that help within our community and especially children. So the Abington Angels, that particular program goes to our needy families. Abington Heights had, in 2019, nearly 20% of our students are below the poverty line. The funds will be going towards our families in need. It's completely anonymous, let me say that first. How that happens is we go through our guidance counselors, uh, principals, and school nurses, and they will reach out to people or they will have people come to them saying, you know, we're struggling at this time. We then go purchase through the holidays, meaning Thanksgiving, winter break, and spring break. We will go get a food pantry plus a holiday meal. For instance, with Thanksgiving, we will get an appetizer through dessert. And then because it's a short break, it'll be breakfast, lunch, and the makings for like a quick dinner, such as pasta and pasta sauce. And then we give the more extensive food pantry for the winter break. But the added bonus for winter break is that's when we have a wish list. And we have children that will fill out the a paperwork saying what they would like for Christmas. And we had, last year was our first baby in a very long time. So or the baby got a little spoiled because everybody wants to get him something. And we go all the way up to 21 because some of the kids who are 21, they have a mentality of, say, an 11-year-old. So we go and we get them several things off their wish list. Nothing crazy, you know, no Xboxes or any of that. But That's very rare. Hardly anybody ever asks for that. They just want clothing or a nice warm blanket, you know, a jacket. They are so humble in what they ask for. So last year we helped over 36 children and one infant in our program. And that was through, that was 13 families that we helped. It's a really worthwhile program. The, the money from the marketplace, that's going to go for Thanksgiving. So will you have another fundraiser type activity that will come up for the Christmas time? Actually, the marketplace, it covers all three, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and spring break. 
Last year, we were fortunate enough to have Eagle Cleaners gave a generous donation as well as the AEIO. Um, They also gave a cash donation along with a huge amount of community outreach. We had an overwhelming amount of donations. Come the end of November, we will be putting out on our Facebook page and through the Nextdoor app, we'll be asking for food donations like uh, canned goods. We also do a little shop where people, we have bring in gently used clothing and our families are able to go through them and find what they need. So that's another aspect of Abington Angels. Now, if anybody would still like to get involved, is that possible? If somebody would like to make a cash donation, they can go to our website, which is abingtonangels.ch to the number two, V.com. Now, anything that I have uh, left out that maybe you want to make sure that everybody knows about or? All proceeds go directly to the Abington Angels program, which supports students and their families who are in need. The program purchase package and distributes the makings of an entire holiday uh, meal, as well as pantry staples for each break. And working from wish lists we created by the children, we purchase, wrap, and distribute these holiday gifts to them. We also gather and prepare gently used clothing for distribution. And you can also bring any canned goods, and it would be greatly appreciated. At, a, at any given point in time to accept donations, is there a way that you can do that too? Again, you can go on to our website, which is Abington Angels with an S at the end, dot C-H, the number two, V, dot com. And under the club store tab, there is a highlighted box that says you can see our store items. If you click that, it brings you to our store. And There is a left-hand side. It says donations. If you click that, you have the opportunity to make a tax-deductible donation. I can set up times where we would be available to have a drop-off date. If we can coordinate that, that would be extremely helpful. But also, one thing we I forgot to mention that we do do as well, it was um, something new. We did a backpack program this year. If any of the children in our elementary schools came to school without a backpack and said, "For I don't have a backpack, you know, mommy didn't give me one, the teacher could then turn around and go, oh, you want to know what? Mommy left it downstairs in the office. Why don't you go downstairs and you can get your backpack? And each school received four. They can come back to us at any point during the year and let us know that they need to replenish the school supplies. Each backpack had pens, pencils, two folders, uh, crayons, colored pencils, hand sanitizers, tissues. We had a generous donation of the backpacks from the United Methodist Church in Clark Summit. Great. So somebody could do that as well and get in contact with you and say that they would like to help out in another different way. I will get together with Tara Sotil. She is my co-chair for Abington Angels, and we can definitely pick up 
a weekend day or one day during the week in the evening to collect anything that, you know, your listeners may have. Thank you, Jen. And as promised, as soon as they know, we'll let you know, and then you can help. Now, don't go away. Coming up next, chit-chatting family medical history during the holidays and how did the election process work this time across the state? Next on Special Edition. Welcome back to Special Edition. Earlier in Special Edition today, we told you about the 43rd Greater Hazleton American Cancer Society telethon happening this weekend. One of the big advances in cancer is finding it early, and that can come from knowing your family history. Dawn Webster, Advanced Practice Clinician Director with MedExpress, says it might not be the usual holiday chit-chat, but family medical history could come up for conversation. Dawn, always a pleasure to have you here. And one of the things that we talk about, of course, with you is our family's health. Now, that being said, there are so many different things going on with family health. Sometimes it's difficult to keep it all together. So from your perspective, what are some of the things that maybe we should do? Why family health is so important is because truly it is a record of the diseases, the medical conditions, and the things that run in your family. Because you and your family share genetic makeup, you're predisposed or more likely to get certain conditions or diseases. You're at a higher risk. So at these family gatherings that we have coming up, it's a really good time to talk to everyone and get a complete picture of your family history. You can discuss conditions. You can go over some health records. Um, you know, you, you can talk to the people that you may not talk to very often and talk to them about things that they may know about their parents or your grandparents that you didn't know. So it's really a great time to kind of talk to them about things like history of heart disease or diabetes, or have they been diagnosed with any types of cancer? Pretty much anything that that could really truly come from your ancestors that you may not be aware of. And of course it is important, but what purpose does that serve then? So even though these conditions are part of your genetic makeup and obviously you can't change that. You can change your lifestyle and you can change your behaviors that can reduce your risk or even prevent it of getting these diseases in the future. So for example, some of the things you want to think about are, you know, breast cancer. Breast cancer can run in the family. And if that's the case and you know that and you tell your doctor, they can start your mammogram screenings earlier than the recommended age. They can they can do genetic testing to see if you have the certain, you know, genetic um, predispositions to breast cancer. So there's a lot of things that you can try to prevent or catch earlier if you're aware that they run in your family. Talking about that, especially when you're going back into perhaps grandparents or even if you are fortunate to have somebody around from the generation before, a lot of that wasn't really talked about then. So when you hear the stories of, well, she passed away and it was old age, I've dealt with that in my own family. How do you get all of the correct information out there? Sure. Well, it can be tough. I mean, it certainly can be tough. I mean, if you don't know how great grandma died and they, you know, they say she probably had a heart attack or, you know, she passed in her sleep, but she was only 70. Those are some things you have to think about. And, 
really, there's no way to know at this point, but if all of her children have been diagnosed with coronary artery disease and high cholesterol, there's a pretty good chance that it could have been related to her heart, a heart attack, something along those lines. So really the best way is to just talk to people, um, even though you may not know what the cause of death was, by talking to her children, your aunts, your uncles, you can find out, well, everyone has high cholesterol. Everyone's been on cholesterol medicine since they were in their 30s, which isn't typically normal. So it probably does run in your family. And then you can talk to your doctor about it and kind of explain things to your doctor and let them decide what tests that can be done early to potentially catch these diseases at an earlier time. Now, when we're talking about the ages again, as we said, you know, a lot of people are older and maybe they don't know why they died, but it's also different than when you hear about a relative who may have passed away at an earlier age. And if you find these things then, Dawn, and how do you present this to your family doctor? So essentially, you just tell them all the information you know. So if your cousin was on an airplane, got off the airplane and died of a blood clot in her lung, you know, your doctor can take that information and figure out, well, they may have had some type of clotting disorder, um, you know, a factor five mutation or some type of thalassemia or even a sickle cell. So they can take the information you give them, use their knowledge, and then work from there. So they also will look at your heritage. So there's certain uh, racial and ethnic groups that um, are, you know, more common to have certain diseases. So they will also look at your, your racial group, your ethnic group. And then by talking to you, they're able to figure out what they need to screen you for. And a lot of times people will say, I don't want to know because now I'm afraid that I might get this chronic condition. That's another hurdle that you some people have to cross over, isn't it? Sure. Yeah, it absolutely is. And there's a lot of times, you know, that, that people would rather not know. But truly knowledge is power. You, you can't do anything to prevent a condition if, if you don't know that, that the risk is there. So by knowing, you can take steps to change your lifestyle, to lead a more healthy lifestyle. You can exercise more. You can, you know, do the screening earlier than normally recommended. You can, you know, if, if you do have that gene that puts you at a higher risk for breast cancer, maybe it would remind you to do your monthly self-checks. So really knowledge is power. And I know sometimes people would like to, you know, put their head in the sand and not think about it. But you have to think of your family members and your friends and, you know, try to look at the bigger picture. And speaking of the bigger picture, many times these conversations begin, especially when someone becomes pregnant. And there are things that may be happening during a pregnancy and you may be asked, did this happen to your mom, your grandma, your aunt, your cousin? So what happens in that stage? Because again, we're all, we're all more concerned about babies and being born, but now there's also this as well. Sure. So if you're thinking about having a baby or you are already pregnant, um, looking at your family history with your OB is 
super important. They will screen for potential birth defects, um, developmental disabilities, genetic diseases. And knowing all of this before your baby is born really gives your baby a, a healthier start to life. So the things that they, they can do you know, while you're pregnant is they can screen you for cystic fibrosis, um, muscular atrophy, and also the blood clotting disorders like we talked about earlier, the sickle cell, the thalassemia. And by knowing those things, they can, they can start treating the baby while you're pregnant if, if they need to. They can also have um, you deliver at a hospital that you know, has a very strong and well-staffed NICU in case your baby's going to need some um, intensive care after, after birth. And then what happens with children in all of this as well? Because again, as they're growing up, they may start to develop different things, but maybe no one else in the family has ever experienced something like that. So is this also a good way to get a healthy picture? Yes, absolutely. So um, by telling the pediatrician about the full family health history, they really are able to con- you know, catch conditions or diseases before they normally would. So they could potentially prevent a child from getting diabetes um, type 2 if it runs in the family. You know, if they notice that the child is starting to trend towards being overweight, they can help you incorporate healthy choices, exercise. Um, you know, they can look at all of that with you instead of just saying, oh, you know, it's a phase, he'll grow out of it. I mean, if the majority of the people in the family are overweight, it's something that you're going to need to look at, you're going to need to address. It's, you know, it's not likely going to be something that's grown out of. So really, by looking at these kids who are at a greater risk for chronic diseases, it really is helpful to know what runs in the family and what their family members have to change their lifestyle, to, to get them started earlier for a healthier lifestyle. And as we wrap up today about this discussion, how important is it that you have a primary care physician? Oh, so important. It's so important. And so many people overlook it because when you're young and you're healthy and, you know, you don't think you need it. And then all of a sudden you do need it. And it's really tough to get into one initially. So I always say, get established with one, find one you like, find one you feel like you connect with, because it really is, they are, they are truly the most important part of your, of your team. They're going to be your support person. They're going to be the one that catches these, these diseases, these illnesses. And if you don't have one, then potentially you are missing all these yearly screenings that you may not even know about. So truly very, very important to have a primary care doctor. Dawn, anything we may have missed that you want to make sure that our listeners know? I just think that just like we talked about, having a primary care doctor along those same lines, having a pediatrician that you trust, that you see every year, even though you know your child may not be sick, may not be getting those yearly immunizations anymore, it's still very important to make that yearly exam so they can screen them for things um, like scoliosis as they're growing up, things that you don't think about. And if they're not playing sports and they're not mandated to get those yearly exams, it makes it even more important because that's how you catch things. The earlier, the better. Prevention is always key. As always, thanks to Dawn Webster, Advanced Practice Clinician Director with MedExpress, and how important it is to get all of your family medical history. 
We just wrapped up the general election. Scott Seaborg, Pennsylvania director, all voting is local is here. And he's going to tell us just how the state did during the process. Let's get started then, Scott. We just have an election under our belts. And what, from the perspective of all voting is local, did you find? So what's great about Pennsylvania elections and uh, you know, voters experience this uh, every six months when they go out to vote uh, is that the elections are safe here. They're secure and they're verified. Uh, you know, even back in 2020, we had record turnout on both sides. And even though that happened, the same politicians attacking our freedom to vote are now pursuing an anti-voter election review scam in the Pennsylvania legislature. And Frankly, they keep spreading lies about an election that our trusted officials conducted and verified. Right? We did not see uh, any type of conspiracy uh, uh, theory come to fruition in our elections. It just didn't happen. And so Pennsylvania elections are doing well, and uh, we're happy to move forward and get as many people to vote as possible. Mail-in ballots are a really important tool for Pennsylvanians that are uh, – worried about the pandemic, they're worried about COVID, that have disabilities, that have limited English proficiency, but also for Pennsylvanians that have, you know, one, two, and three jobs and really uh, have a hard time getting out to vote in person on a specific day. And we're seeing Pennsylvanians use vote-by-mail ballots uh, in, in high numbers. And it's a really important tool in a modern election system to meet voters where they are. When we're also talking about election day turnout, I know, you know, on the bigger level at the the state level, you said that there were, you didn't find anything. So what are you hearing back from the local level since this is, we're still kind of in the pandemic here and uh, were there any calls for not following guidelines or what did you hear from that aspect? You know, our local county election officials are heroes. They are the folks that spend the long hours making sure that our elections are safe, secure, and verified. And while humans are uh, prone to error and, you know, nothing is 100% perfect, the guidelines that uh, county election officials are following are absolutely consistent with the law, the spirit of the law, and also uh, really ensuring that the freedom to vote is uh, alive and well in Pennsylvania. And so these election officials are doing great. There are some issues with vote-by-mail vendors uh, that I think uh, are some kinks that could be worked out. But at the same time, you know, you see uh, routinely polling places sometimes not opening exactly on time. It won't be a widespread issue, but it will be an issue that election officials deal with uh, to keep the election safe and secure. One of the other things, too, that a lot of people maybe don't even realize, take into account, and I know you've been working on this as well, is people who are in jail at the time of vote in order to get their vote out. What's happening in that area? So there are a lot of folks that are uh, in what are called pre-trial detention at county jails all over Pennsylvania. And those individuals uh, are eligible to vote. Um, Not only are they eligible to vote while they're in those facilities, but uh, sort of once they're done serving their debt to society, uh, those folks are, are also still eligible to vote. And so All Voting is Local has been working with uh, 
local county prisons and officials to set up processes that allow for people in those jails to understand what's happening with the election, when is the election, and setting up an order of operations to allow for vote-by-mail balloting by those voters. And along the same lines as that, then, we're also seeing some of the younger voters that are starting to come out now. And how are you seeing that as making an impact on polls, on mail-in ballots, or, or what are you hearing there? Because so many people think that they're ingrained, this is what we do, but you do have a lot of new people that are coming out for the first time. Absolutely. I think the 2020 pandemic really opened a lot of young people's eyes in terms of what needs to go into having an election that meets voters in their communities where they are. And so we saw a lot of young people come out and be poll workers for the first time, in addition to uh, casting their ballots and doing their civic duty. And I think that uh, one thing that's really important for young people is consistency, right? We've got some folks in the state talking about wanting to do away with the vote-by-mail program that we know uh, voters really like here in the state. We had record numbers of vote-by-mail turnouts in the last heavily uh, uh, participated in election. And so I think we're really excited and the important thing is going to be to move forward with uh, the tools we know work, like vote-by-mail balloting, early voting, and secure drop boxes in communities, and seek to strengthen and improve those positions, not move the state backwards. When we opened our discussion, you had mentioned uh, as far as the different bodies of government still looking into quote-unquote problems and mentioned the word scams. Can you give us a little bit of more insight into exactly what that means? Absolutely. Uh, This is a really cynical move by uh, the state Senate committee and the Senate president, uh, Corman. There are conspiracy theories out there running around different states and different political circles to undercut confidence in our election systems. We've had reviews of our elections in the 2020 uh, uh, cycle and, and that outcome The state has looked at the results. The counties have looked at the results. Yet, despite any information to the contrary, these folks are continuing to relitigate the 2020 election in a way that isn't just attacking our election officials, which is something that's happening. They're actually coming after all 9 million voters in Pennsylvania and trying to seize sensitive identifying information, including Social Security and driver's license numbers, and then give those to a third party all in an effort to uh, try and undercut our elections, all in an effort to spread lies about an election that our trusted officials conducted and verified. We know that Pennsylvania has real problems. An ongoing pandemic, keeping schools open, flooding from climate, a lot of people struggling to make ends meet. And this 2020 election scam review is a waste of time, it's a waste of resources, and it's a bald political move to appease primary voters. And we just think that's uh, that's really unfortunate. The legislature works for us. Harrisburg Republicans have plenty of real problems to address. Instead of dividing our communities, spreading lies, and fighting about the 2020 election, in which, I'll say, they were elected. Right. And so that's that's a little bit of, uh, of I think, an indication of how uh, much of a scam this is. And Scott, before I let you go, I'm going to have you take out your crystal ball, shine it up 
and take a look. <laughs> what do you see as far as, again, now we're going to be looking toward May. So what do you see? What do you hear as far as changes, thoughts that are going to continue forward in the election throughout the Commonwealth? That's a great question. So one thing that we know would be really, really important is giving county election officials the tools to conduct uh, the, the counting and the tabulation so that the results are available to folks within a few days of the election. And so that looks like a pre-canvas policy, right? We need to allow our election officials, who are really the heroes of pulling these elections off, to begin processing and scanning vote-by-mail ballots three or four weeks before an election. You know, Florida is a really great example of this, where they allow for something like 20 days of processing before an election, and their elections work just fine. Here in Pennsylvania, election officials are really up against the wall between a rock and a hard place, having sometimes hundreds of thousands of vote-by-mail ballots. The Pennsylvania legislature, controlled by Republicans right now, will not allow this pre-canvas policy to move forward. And we believe that's a really important element, as well as strengthening our systems to keep vote by mail and no, or no excuse vote by mail secure, safe, and available to all Pennsylvanians. Scott, thank you. Always a pleasure. So now I've got you on my calendar for right after the May election, and we'll wrap up that one as well. Absolutely. Always a pleasure to catch up with Scott Seaborg, Pennsylvania Director, All Voting is Local. I'm Paula Dagnan. Once again, thank you for joining me on Special Edition. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.